everyone and welcome back to Motherkind, the show that is going to help you navigate the massive challenges of motherhood and life with more acceptance, ease, joy and purpose. Thanks to each and every one of you that come back every week to listen, learn and feel inspired. If you do love the podcast, do me a favour, hit subscribe. It really does help spread the word. This week's guest is me. Well, it's me being interviewed by Ariana, who hosts the brilliant Pasha Mama podcast. You've all told me that you like hearing me on the other side of the mic. So I thought I'd share this interview with Ariana because we dived into so many helpful topics. I talk about self-compassion, pressure and control and surrender and why that is so hard to do, but so important if we want to feel less stressed. We talked about the power of little steps and why self-awareness needs to come before self-care. I also got the opportunity to coach Ariana a little bit because she is right in the thick of that new motherhood fog. So I hope you find that helpful and interesting as well. I've been thinking a lot recently about the idea that because motherhood is so tough, it gives us the opportunity to learn so many of these incredible tools and ideas and lessons that we just wouldn't have got a chance to otherwise. So in a way, I think that motherhood breaks us in some way, and then it also makes us. And I'm wondering what you think about that idea. I've been thinking about it quite a lot recently, hence the title that I've given to this episode. I hope you love it. Here it is. Zoe, hi, good morning. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm really well, thank you. Aside from major lack of sleep right now with a baby going through, I think, what is a sleep progression? Who knows? But otherwise, yeah, I'm okay. Did you have a nice bank holiday weekend? I did. It's so hard, that sleep change and the lack of sleep. And I think, you know, just what it does to our minds and bodies is, you know, I think when I started to really understand that, it gave me a lot of compassion for myself. So it does very, very serious things to your brain, lack of sleep. So yeah, yeah, it really does. It really does. So it, it heightens the amygdala, which is the fear center in our brain. So that's why we might start to feel more fearful and anxious when we're sleep deprived. And it does lots and lots of other things. So I think just lots of self-compassion, when you're in that place of lack of sleep, I know it very well. <laughs> I'm actually really glad that you brought that up because that's something that we're going to be touching on today is kind of like anxiety and motherhood and stuff. And I've definitely, definitely felt it these last couple of weeks when Phoenix has been, my son has been up basically every hour throughout the night. Previously, you know, when before he was sleeping actually really quite well for a baby, I thought. I sort of struggle sometimes with like, understanding why it's so hard, why motherhood is so difficult and the lack of sleep is huge. And I think sometimes the biology doesn't really make sense because if you're breastfeeding, which I am, in order to have a good milk supply, you need to be well rested, but then babies don't necessarily allow you to be well rested in order to then have a good milk supply. So I just find sometimes that the science behind it all doesn't really point us in the right direction. And I think sometimes that's where I I sort of struggle with. I can't quite get over why it's so difficult. Well, it doesn't in the context of the way that we mother in the modern world, but that's very recent. It's only in the last sort of 100, 150 years that we are up all night with our babies, often alone, and then we're often alone all day with our babies. If you look at it in evolutionary terms, in terms of how it used to be, it would be that other people would be caring for the baby often during the day 
giving us the baby to feed and we would be resting. There'd be women around, there'd be aunties, there'd be grandmothers. It was very, very, very different. That's why you hear people talk about we lost the village. What they really mean by that is how we used to raise our children in communities so that the mothers could rest. That's really how it was. So yeah, it doesn't make sense at all in terms of how we parent in the modern day today, what you and I and you know, all our mothers of our generation face, but it makes sense when you look at it in, you know, not so recent history. That is so true. And I have to sort of remind myself that the biological needs of my son do not fit with the cultural setting that I'm living in at the moment. Do you think that the lack of support or the want to, or I guess the need to fit our babies into our more modern lives are some of the biggest challenges that mothers face these days? Are those some of the challenges that you faced as a mother as well? Yeah. And there's no time that's ever perfect, is there? So we have lots of amazing things as a result of our modern life. But I think there's lots of things that, you know, we face today societally that make it even more challenging. And this isn't just me saying, you know, some of the greatest thinkers in the world on human development and anthropologists and incredible people that have studied this say the same thing that the way that we live very isolated often from extended families because there was this move towards the cities for work. So lots of us live in big cities. Our families often won't because they'll be older. So they won't be in that time of their career. So they may be living an hour, two hours, three hours, four hours, even in other countries. So that has a really big impact that we don't have that family support always around us. And also we need to remember we are the first generation really raising our children with smartphones, with access to billions. If you put in breastfeeding, you will get billions of results. Often that information will contradict. Often that information will be really overwhelming. You might feel judged by that information. Generations before us just didn't have that. So I think that has a massive impact. And we know what happens to our brains in this sort of always on digital world, you know, it's fragmenting our ability to be present. Often we look outwards for information instead of inwards. So I think, you know, we've got more information than ever before, but maybe less wisdom, maybe less connection. And I think that makes it really, really hard. I think also, you know, it's only in the last hundred years or so that our careers have progressed that the way they have as women and mothers, which is incredible. It's fantastic, but we're still waiting for the domestic systems to catch up with that. So we're in this situation, which I hope is going to be a really unique point in time. And I think it's incredibly challenging for our generation where we are still doing 70%. There was a study from the United Nations. Women are still doing 70% of the domestic load. So essentially we're running our homes, raising children, organizing childcare and working. And that's not sustainable, which is why I think so many mothers in our generation feel constantly anxious on the brink of burnout because those two systems haven't caught up with each other. And there's loads of change happening, but I reckon we're 10, 20 years off where we need to be in terms of the support and the societal structures for mothers So there's lots of reasons why it's hard. Gabor Mate, who's probably one of the greatest thinkers on human development and psychology of our time, he said to me that he thinks now is the hardest time to be a mother in peacetime, so since the Second World War. 
And he said that pre-pandemic. So you throw in a pandemic. So I think really to anyone sort of listening and of course to you going through it very real with a little one is just lots and lots of compassion. And it's really easy to say that, you know, you need to be gentle with yourself. You need to be kind with yourself. You need to remember if you're finding it hard, it's not because you're doing it wrong. It's because it's hard. But often we haven't been modeled that compassion and we might not know how to access that tenderness for ourselves. So what we do is we just beat ourselves up. We think that if we push ourselves harder, I must be doing it wrong. I need to learn more, read more, even listen to more podcasts. I need to be doing it differently. So many of us go to that place and that's actually not what we need at all. We know that because we wouldn't say that to a friend who is struggling. We would give that friend love and support and a hug and a cup of tea. And that's exactly what we need to do for ourselves. But that's really hard to do. And I think it's probably one of the greatest skills that we have to learn as modern mothers is self-compassion, self-kindness, giving ourselves a break, taking the pressure off, focusing on what's important, letting go on what's not. Otherwise you will burn out hundred percent. I have probably a hundred messages a day of mothers utterly burnt out trying to do it all. You've said so many amazing things there. And, you know, I don't know if I find it scary or reassuring that this is probably the hardest, most challenging time to be a mother. And as you say, I think people are aware sometimes, or I'd hope, even though when you're in it, sometimes I, even myself, I forget, you do need to be compassionate. I guess it's about how do you, how do you personally find that compassion for yourself? Even if you're aware that you need to give it to yourself, as you say, it's not easy to do. How do you carve that out for yourself? So the first thing is I'm saying that it's scary. I would reframe that as often in life, our greatest challenges bring us the greatest reward. So the things that I've been through in my life that have been the scariest and the hardest have developed me more and more into the person that I think I'm capable of being. You know, I've only been able to develop courage and perspective and maybe a little bit of wisdom because I've been through some really hard things outside motherhood. So I choose to see the challenge of it as an opportunity to create those qualities, characteristics, things in me that I wouldn't get the chance to otherwise. You know, for example, I talk about people pleasing and boundaries a lot. You know, if a mother struggles with that, it's such a good opportunity to develop that because otherwise without it, you're going to really, really struggle. So I think there's like a sort of reframe that can happen as well to see it, even though it is really hard. How can I use this challenge to develop, to change, to grow, as opposed to collapsing into the challenge, which is fine too. You know, I have lots of days where I do that as well. But overall, I think it's thinking, how can I face this challenge? So that's the first thing. And then the second thing that you asked me was about how do I access that compassion? And I think there's two answers to that. The first one is very simple in the moment practices. So when I notice myself starting to beat myself up, and it may be very subtle, I might hear a voice that says, can't believe you've done that again. You're doing it wrong. Why is your house such a mess? You've got so much privilege. Why are you still struggling? You know, look at everyone else, you know, who doesn't have some of the privileges that you do. That might be what some of the voices will say. And I'll tend to catch those. And I'll say something like, stop, we're not going there today. And I'll think to myself, what would I say to a really good friend who is exactly, you know, in this position that I am? I would say to her, 
you know, you've got two young girls, you're running this business, you know, you're doing an amazing job. You're doing an amazing job. What do you need? Why don't you have a sit down? Or do you need to get on with something? Because I can also avoid things as well. So sometimes I do need to get on with some admin. I do need to go and clean the kitchen, but I'll just take that moment to just make sure that I'm not going into that shame spiral. So shame spiral is when we tend to think I'm bad, I'm wrong, I'm not doing it well enough. And none of that is true. You know, that all comes from a very well-worn narrative inside my head that I've actually lived with most of my life. So that's the first sort of thing is catching those in the moment. And meditation, which I've been regularly meditating for a while now, has really helped me with that because meditation helps me notice my thoughts. So I've been able to notice and catch those thoughts before they're spiraling out of control. And suddenly I'm just sort of on the sofa and able to get up, you know, paralyzed basically. Or the other way, I'm just frantic into activity, a ball of stress, snapping at everyone. I tend to go to those two states. So it just helps me catch and notice the thoughts, stop, what would I say to a good friend? There's another thing that I learned from Dr. Kristen Neff, who's really the sort of founder of this idea of self-compassion, and it's called a self-compassion break, and it's got three steps. And the first step is that you stop and you realize that you are not the only person struggling. So you bring in other people because when we're struggling, we tend to think it's only us. That's something that our minds love to do. It's only you. You're finding it hard. You should be finding this easy. Look at everyone else. And of course, social media feeds into that. So the first step of the self-compassion break is you say, there isn't a mother. I say this to myself all the time. There isn't a mother who hasn't been sat feeling overwhelmed today, feeling stressed today, feeling like it's too much today. You are not alone. That's the first step. You are not alone. And I promise you, whatever you are going through or been through or feeling, there is someone in that moment in the world feeling exactly the same way. And then the second step is to say something really kind to yourself. So you're not alone. You know, you're not the only person feeling this way today. You can handle this. Or, you know, what do you need? Or you're a really lovely person. Just something really nice to yourself. And then the third step is just saying a phrase that might help you from that point. So I'm just going to move forward with some more ease, or I'm just going to reach out to a friend, or I'm just going to do something. So that's another tool that I love called the Self-Compassion Break by Dr. Kristen Neff, if anyone wants to look it up. So those are some of my favorite like in-the-moment tools that I'll be using. And then the second part to that answer is deeper because also our relationship to ourselves, of course, is formed when we're little. That's healing. When people talk about healing or, I guess, therapy work or anything like that, that's the deeper work that I also do a lot of and have done a lot of, which is unpicking, okay, why do I have this hard relationship with myself? Why am I so addicted to busyness and avoidance and success and validation as I was And how do I change that so that I'm no longer pushing myself to burn out all the time? Because of course I brought all of those behaviors into motherhood and they don't work when you become a mother. You can't A grade your way through motherhood. So I really had to look at where was all that coming from and how could I transform that? So sort of two answers, you know, in the moment and also the deeper work of looking at the stronger beliefs and messages that I had about myself and my worth 
And those two together have really enabled me to unlock quite a lot of tenderness for myself so far in motherhood. That is absolutely amazing. And I think, you know, it sounds like you have such self-awareness, which is amazing because I know so many people just don't, myself included. And I think something like that really must take a lot of work. It, you know, it takes, I imagine it comes with practice and time in order to do the the deeper work, but then also those in the moment breaking of the habits. You know, I find myself getting trapped very, very quickly in these like negative thought cycles and I spiral completely and I find it very, very hard to break out of those or to even have the spiral and then acknowledge that I had that moment and then sort of park it and continue on with the rest of my day. I find what I struggle with the most at the moment is when I have those negative thoughts, I find it very difficult. It could happen in the morning, for example, and then it just lingers and it just stays with me the entire day. And it's really, really unfair on myself, on my son, on my partner. And I'm quite recently just trying to be more aware of when those moments happen and actively try to change my state once I have, I'm not going to ignore the feelings. I'm going to feel the feels and then be like, okay, that was that moment. Let's move forward and let's not drag these negative thoughts into the rest of my day because that's just not fun for anyone, at least for myself. Yeah. And I think, like you said, you know, there's lots in what you said that the first one is being able to even notice when you're in that spiral, realize that it's not true. Because of course, those thoughts feel absolutely true. And then as you describe, those thoughts then create an emotional response in your body. So you're not only thinking these thoughts, you also might be feeling anxiety, feeling fear, or be feeling heightened energy, or you know whatever the feelings are, or sadness, or aloneness, or depression, or I want to cry, or I want to run, or whatever it is that's coming up. So that's the first thing, isn't it? Is that awareness. And then it's challenging that, which is really hard because they feel real. They feel real. Mm. So it's how you can get that perspective and challenge that. And then also, as you said, you know, you can start your day at any point. You know, I'll often say to the girls at five o'clock, we're restarting our day. And they're like, but mummy, it's, you know, nearly bedtime. I'm like, I don't care. We're pressing reset and we are going to have a brilliant end to the day. We've got two hours left together. Let's press reset. I do that all the time. You can start your day at any point and start your day at 8 p.m., you know, with your partner and just say, you know, it's all gone. What's happened? I'm going to restart it with this intention going forward. That's so nice. That is such, I've never really thought about that. Why not? Why does, yeah. the, why does the mood of the day have to start at 7 a.m. and then that's it? No, restart your day anytime you want. Mm. And actually a really powerful practice is to sort of punctuate your day. Like I do it. Cause I'm in that sort of school run place with the ages that mine are. So, you know, I'll sit in the car just as I'm about to get out to go and pick them both up and I'll just take a break. I'll be like, right. So my work day is done. Reset button. What's my intention from here? As opposed to just being that sort of unconscious roller coaster, just running through the day, being at the mercy of my thoughts or feelings or other people's thoughts or feelings, or, you know, the chaos that's kind of constantly around us. I, I try to take a bit more ownership of that. So I'll be like, right, my intention is just I've got four hours with the girls now. 
My attention is just to connect. I'm not going to think about the drama that happened at work this morning. I'm not going to think about that client I'm worried about because I'm a coach as well. I'm just going to connect with the girls. And even just taking that minute or having that thought is really powerful. It doesn't always have to be complex, this stuff. It can be really simple. And that's the power of coaching, you know, as opposed to therapy. Coaching is, is really good at simple interventions and tools that can help you just reframe your experience or think about something differently or quickly change something in the moment. And I think that's often what we, we need as mothers. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. And therapy is a space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. Therapy is just an incredible, safe, non-judgmental space. I absolutely love it. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule, which I think as busy mums is what we all need. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash motherkind today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash motherkind. Gosh, that's really, really powerful. And I think you're absolutely right. It's the smaller changes that we can make that I think as busy mums, as overwhelmed mums, as tired mums, that those are the ones that will probably have more of an impact, more frequent, smaller things. But I guess it's about noticing that. And I think you said earlier, you know, it's about whenever you see a challenge, it's about reframing it to see it as an opportunity of how you can kind of grow and learn from it, which I think is amazing. But again, takes a lot of hard work. And I imagine some practice because, you know, I actually feel as though, and I'm only five and a half months postpartum. So I really have to remind myself that it is still a very short time frame that, you know, my life has completely gone upside down. And so it is going to take time in order for me to feel a rebalance or whatever it is that might come a steadiness or something, or maybe that steadiness won't come. I don't know, but I do feel as though I've lost a lot of confidence that I had before. And I don't know if it's because I have no fucking idea what I'm doing as a mum, which could be the case. But then I find that that lack of confidence with my son sort of translates to other parts of my life, which wasn't there before, which is, I think, where I'm really struggling with at the moment. And so I'm trying to look at these more challenging moments as opportunities to grow and learn. But I think because I feel like my confidence has taken a bit of a hit, that will be a lot harder to do. Well, we're in charge of the stories that we tell ourselves. So I always think I might as well make it a positive one because I'm in charge of the narrative. So maybe the story that you tell yourself is that I've lost my confidence is a strong story to be telling yourself, right? Lost is a strong word. So maybe you just tell yourself a different story. I am in the first year of this motherhood experience and I'm really enjoying figuring out who I am now and what type of a mother I'm going to become. Yeah, (laughs) you're right. You're absolutely right. Because I really do feel as though, you know, your thoughts have such power over absolutely everything. And it is about 
reframing it is the only way to look at it. I guess it's about making sure that I have the tools in place to recognize what I'm saying to myself in order to be able to reframe it in a, in a more positive, positive yeah. way. Exactly. Confidence isn't actually innate. We tend to think that, oh, we're a confident person or we're not a confident person. That isn't actually true. Confidence tends to come from sort of qualifications, experience, knowledge and experience. And so, of course, with motherhood, we have neither of those things. So I often say to mothers who say I've lost my confidence, I'm like, of course you have. You haven't done this before. That would be like expecting yourself to enter you know, a totally new job outside your industry, outside your sphere of experience and to be able to walk in with a confidence. No one would expect that. So I think there's almost like a humility as well. It's really beautiful. Like I'm learning. We're learning together. I'm learning about Phoenix. I'm learning about myself as a mother. And I think that's just such a kinder way to talk to yourself than this idea of I've lost my confidence. I think there's also, you know, when we understand about matrescence, which is the anthropological term which describes the becoming of a mother, it's the same as adolescence, but to describe the becoming of the mother. I think once we look at it through that lens as well, it's almost like we expect it to be a really bumpy time. It is a time of self exploration. It is a time where you lose your identity and you lose your confidence, rightly so, because you're trying to figure out this new role, who you are becoming now, you know, your hormones are changing. Your brain has literally changed. We know this through brain mapping and scanning. It's called pruning. Your brain chemistry has actually changed. The gray matter in your head is changing size and shape. So everything is changing about you when you become a mother. So it's just softening that story how would it feel to just say to yourself, I'm in this time of exploration and I'm going to try loads of things and some are going to feel great and some are going to feel terrible, but I'm going to learn and my confidence will come. Listening to you talk, I'm like, yes, I know this. I know about my trescence. I was really aware of, given that I started Pashamama before becoming even pregnant, I feel as though I've walked into motherhood with my eyes as wide open as they possibly could have been, aware that it's bloody hard work, aware of the transition, aware of the hormones, aware of so many things that I think a lot of women perhaps aren't aware of because it's not so widely spoken about. And yet I still find it really, really difficult. I had to remind myself that how I'm feeling is completely normal and to reframe it from an awareness to this idea of exploration, which I really like, because I kind of always said, I think I recorded a podcast episode before when I was pregnant and somebody asked me what I was looking forward to most about having a baby. And one of the responses I said was actually what my son will teach me. And I don't know if that puts pressure on myself to come out as a new variant of myself that, you know, I, I'm sort of waiting for that to happen. I've sort of maybe forgotten about the exciting bits and the exploration bits and the awareness bits. And I think with, as you mentioned before, the information overload that we have now as mums, the constant conflicting advice, it's a complete minefield. And I think maybe it's so conflicting so that essentially you just can find an expert in, in inverted commas, giving you an answer that supports what you wanted to do in the first place, which is why it's so conflicting. I don't know. But I also think because there's so much information and because we look outward a lot of the time, rather than following our own innate instincts about these things, because they are there, 
that also can have a massive impact on my ability to parent. We just spent a month on, had an amazing vacation. I was completely present. I was very much off social, off work mode. And I think it was probably the best four weeks I've had since Phoenix was born because I wasn't panicked that I wasn't following schedules for feeding, for naps, for whatever. It was just go with the flow. And we did what we felt right. And we did what we needed to do in order to have the day that we wanted that made everyone really kind of relaxed and happy. And I think that coming back sometimes to the real world, to real life, when you're not on vacation mode can be really, really tricky because you sit there on social and you see what other people are doing and it puts that added layer of pressure which I just don't think anyone needs. So the question is how can you apply that place that you got yourself in on holiday to your day-to-day? Yeah because you've had that experience of what it feels like so if I was coaching you we would be working on okay what was it that unlocked that ease what was it that unlocked that presence and how can you bring more of that in with the very real pressures you know we live in the real world we have to keep you know earning and showing up but there's always things that we can change and learn so that's what I would be if we were working together for example that's what I would really be looking to unpack with you you know where's that pressure coming from Sounds like social is a big trigger for you. Okay, how could we manage, you know, how you're engaging with that and what that looks like? Social media is incredibly challenging place to be, for sure. I've experienced that. And I think, you know, as you were saying, there's a huge difference between knowledge and wisdom. And, you know, I have so much knowledge, but I forget every single day to apply it. And, you know, I constantly have to remind myself and I'll be doing something and I'll think, oh my gosh, I'm doing that again. Or, But I think it's just the more and more that we can accept wherever we're at. So a lot of stress comes from resistance. And I can really hear that in you, actually, that there's this sort of place that you want to be and you're not there and you want to feel this. And all that not accepting just how you're doing right now it creates so much resistance because you want to be somewhere where you're not. You know, I always speak to mothers as well about what would it be like to just accept exactly where you are, you know, with the challenges, with what you're still trying to learn, with what you're still trying to figure out, with what you know, with what you don't know. Well, if you could just think, well, just for today, just for this moment, I'm exactly where I'm meant to be and I'll learn what I'm meant to learn right on time. I'll get my confidence and into my stride you know, when I'm meant to, right on time. And the shoulders sort of drop a bit and there's a bit less pressure, a bit less striving and a little bit more being, a little bit of just sort of sitting into a little bit more trust and a bit less control. And I think that's really, really helpful to me. And a lot of people that I work with, I work with a lot of people who are incredibly successful in the outer world, but really struggle internally. And that's often because they're trying to control everything around them, you know, from nap times to schedules to who their children are to, you know, their partners and all of it. And I think control, you know, can be brilliant, can't it? It can enable us to achieve a lot. It can also cost us a lot in terms of that peace of mind. So it sounds like there was something on holiday for you that just enabled you to drop control a bit. Totally. And I think control is probably the perfect word to encapsulate me as a person. And I'm very aware of that. I like order, I like structure. And with babies, it's not like that unless you want to obviously enforce it, which is not something that I actually want to do. And I think that's where I've almost struggled a little bit is that 
I'm a creature of habit. I love routine. I like order. I like that control. And I've approached parenting to be very, very baby led. And so I think on the days that it goes well, it's great. On the days that it doesn't go so well, I think that's where it sort of collides for me because I have to remind myself, which I never really do when I'm in that negative thought cycle of letting go of that control and surrendering. And I think surrender is a really, really powerful word for me, particularly I used it a lot during pregnancy when I suffered from antenatal depression right at the beginning. And then, you know, I was a very active person and I could barely move due to my physical and mental states. And so it was about accepting the situation, surrendering that control, which I think comes and goes for me, it ebbs and flows, because I think that there's a lot of pressure, not for perfectionism, because I don't believe that exists, but I just don't want to get it wrong. I want to do right by him. And I think sometimes I I just don't know what is right because it's all so new. <laughs> I think just the ideas of right and wrong are very binary, aren't they? And they're really hard Absolutely. because what is right? Yeah. And, you know, I know that some of the quote unquote mistakes that I guess my mum made with me have taught me the greatest lessons in life. So who's to say what's right and what's wrong? You know, and I love that word surrender as well, but it's hard because the reason that we control is because it helps us feel safe. So surrender can feel petrifying. You know, I've worked with a lot of clients who, you know, will almost feel like a death and it is in some way to actually surrender and let go. And it feels like leaping off a cliff. It really does. It really does, you know, to go, okay, I'm just going to put that down. It's not easy. It's not something that, well, I don't find it easy. I think it's really, really hard because everything that we do serves a purpose. We don't just do things, you know, we control for a reason because it helps us feel safe, helps us feel like we can navigate things, helps us feel like we can keep a lid on things. You know, if I can keep everyone doing what they're meant to be doing at the right time, I'll feel okay. My anxiety won't bubble up or, you know, whatever else. So it always serves a purpose. And it doesn't mean that we want to get rid of control. Clearly not. You know, it's brilliant being able to have some things that we can manage quite well. And But it's when it starts to cost us, that's when you might want to think, okay, what's this giving me and what's it costing me? And just looking at that list, you know, I often have clients write down those two things. What does it give me? Well, it gives me a sense of safety. It gives me, what's it costing me? I feel really anxious. It's actually blocking me from connection from my child and people around me because I feel like I'm telling them what to do. And I feel resentful when they don't do what I want them to do all the time, you know, and then, then it's looking at, okay, so there's your evidence. What could you do differently? Where could you let go? What would that look like? And I think like everything you said before was just kind of little steps. These are big words, aren't they? Surrender is a really big word and it'll mean something different for every single person listening. So I think it's more thinking, okay, if I was going to let go 10% of a nap schedule or how I'm going to wean or how I'm worrying about my confidence, what would that actually look like? And what would I do differently? I love that you said they're big words. They are, they're huge words and they're big, big emotions as well. My next question then kind of follows on from that around the sort of self-care message that we often push on mums, I find, you know, prioritise self-care, which is extremely important. I appreciate that. But I wonder if because motherhood can unpack such big emotions, do you think that the self-care message that we offer to mums is enough? 
Well, I think it depends. Again, that's sort of a word that will mean if you ask 10 people mm. what's up, you'd get 10 different Responses, answers. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I think the truth of it is, is that if you're feeling anxious and overwhelmed having a bath, it might help one person. For me, I would just lie in the bath feeling anxious and overwhelmed. So, you know, <laughs> I think the overall idea that as mothers, we have to fill our own cup is really important. How someone does that is going to look different for every single person. So before you even start talking about self-care, someone has to have self-awareness. What are my triggers? A massive part of self-care for me is catching those thoughts. It's invisible. No one else knows I'm doing it, but I'm doing it. And that's a big, big, big part of me looking after myself because I know if I let those thoughts spiral, I have a brain that's wired for fear, it's wired for negativity, it's going to drain me. And it's not going to be good for me. So I think that's the first thing. Before you talk about self-care is you have to talk about awareness. You know, where are you struggling? Where are you feeling depleted? What's going on in your mind, body and spirit? And what are some of the things that you think could help you? And it's going to be different for every single person. I think self-care just becomes problematic because it's been sort of branded a bit. It's like a bath with an expensive oil or, you know, and, and it's none of that for me really. It's about how can I have the self-awareness so that I can look after myself, particularly my thinking, which is where the root of all my problems are, and my body. How can I do that so that I can keep showing up as the parent and the mother that I really want to be? I think when we push it onto mothers, as in, you know, you need to take time out and you need to, that's just more pressure, isn't it? Because to some people, they don't want time away from their baby. That feels like the opposite of self-care. That might trigger more feelings of guilt or anxiety or worry, you know, if they had a night away or whatever. But for some people, that might be exactly what they need. So I think it's really figuring out, you know, what do you need in order to keep showing up as the type of mother that you would most want to be and to feeling good. We want to feel good, right? That's kind of why we're here on the planet. We don't want to be walking around feeling anxious and fearful and worried and overwhelmed all the time. So the question then becomes, what do I need to feel good? Keep it really simple. And I think when I talk about self-care, that's what I do. I also, the mothers that I work with, I encourage them to have a bit of a sort of menu based on how they feel. Because when we're in the moment and we feel overwhelmed or guilty or stressed or negative, you can't access that part of you that's going to know what you need. In fact, when you're in that place, you're most likely to self-sabotage, grab some sugar because you think it's going to make you feel good. In fact, it's going to make you feel worse or watch another episode, even though it's midnight and you know that you've got to get to sleep. You know, when you're in that place, it's really hard to access those tools. So I'll often have clients write out, you know, when I feel overwhelmed, I need three really simple things. Stop what I'm doing, get a glass of water, send a message to my best mate, ask her how she's doing or tell her how I'm doing or, you know, stop and go and look at a tree and just look at the leaves blowing in the wind for 30 seconds and then come back to what I'm doing. And then I might have them write out another feeling state. When I feel tired, I need, you know, I have clients who have it on a sheet, you know, like in their kitchen <laughs> because we can't remember all this stuff. It's also very new for many of us. We weren't modeled this. We weren't taught it. I certainly wasn't. So I think coming at self-care from a feeling state is really 
helpful as well, because how differently we feel we're going to need different things. You know, lonely might be another one. You know, I think loneliness is a huge feeling for new mothers, often confused with other emotions. So how do you know when you feel lonely and what do you need when you feel lonely? You know, and it's not always about speaking to other people. Sometimes it can be connecting with yourself a little bit in that moment and then reaching out to someone else. So, yeah, it's a big topic. And I think the most important thing is just not allowing it to create more pressure, but allowing it to start with self-awareness, come at it from feelings and have it written down somewhere. Don't rely on the moment when you're feeling not great, because in those moments you will definitely do something, not definitely, likely do something that will sabotage or make you feel worse. So, I feel like I, I'm, I'm literally like taking notes and I'm going to 100% just reframe and work on so many things. You've given me, me personally, such wonderful advice and nuggets of wisdom. And I know that the passion owners who will be listening to this will also get so, so, so much out of it. So thank you so much for being so open and honest and wonderful and brilliant in the work that you're doing. If people wanted to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? So the main thing I have is my podcast mm. called Mother Kind Podcast, where we do two episodes a week. We do a short one on a Monday and a longer interview on a Thursday. So that's available wherever you will get your podcasts. I also do some one-to-one coaching, although that's quite limited. But if anyone wanted to join the waitlist, they can just look on the website and join. And I do group coaching. So I'll take 10 mothers all at different ages and stages. And we work through a lot of the themes that we were talking about today, about boundaries, energy management, reframing, tons of coaching tools, like the best coaching tools that I've learned. And I've condensed them all down into eight weeks where we work through as a group. And just hearing other mothers share about their experiences is incredibly powerful. So I do those typically every other month we start one. So depending on when this goes out, if anyone wanted to join, just have a look on the website or I'm on Instagram, motherkind underscore Zoe. Thank you so much, Zoe. I really, really appreciate your time this morning. You're welcome. So that was the episode. I hope that you really enjoyed it. As ever, if you did, please consider sharing it with your friends and leaving me a review on iTunes. It really does make a difference to the number of mums that we can reach with the brilliant wisdom of the guests I have on.